Good evening and welcome to Ryan and Ryan Education Today. This is episode 14 of season one. I'm Ryan Limley along with my co-host Ryan Weary. How's it going, Ryan? I am getting ready for uh, some colder weather. That's coming up too, right? Yeah. Up. Again, let's not talk about that. Uh, <laughs> nine snow days. Nine days. That's what teachers want. We want nine yeah. snow days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe snow days become a, a a podcast topic later where we talk about virtual learning and and we just kind of take that head on as, as that is something in education right now that, mm-hmm. that we could educate kids and parents on. Mm-hmm. And, and like we talk about every time that this starts in our podcast, we try to break down and provide insight into issues facing today's rapidly changing educational environment. We look at issues from the student parent, teacher, and administrator perspective. And we are privileged to have uh, Dr. Jim Mahoney back with us tonight. Good evening, Jim. Hey, good evening, guys. And this is uh, part two of our conversation with uh, Dr. Mahoney. So if you have not listened to part one, would highly encourage you to press that pause button right now and go back and, and listen to the the previous episode where we got a lot of uh, Jim's backstory and, and some of the things that got him to where he is today, which is is the thing that, that we kind of left the last episode talking about was the Strength Finder. And, and Jim, we've had a chance to work on Strength Finder together here the last few sure. years as part of a, uh, is it grant funded project? Yes. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a, uh, it's largely grant funded from the Ohio Department of Education uh, with a grant to uh, the uh, Eastern Ohio ESC in New Philadelphia, East Central Ohio. And so if somebody maybe didn't listen to the last episode or, or missed it, uh, Strength Finder is kind of like a, I don't want to call it a personality inventory, but given by Gallup, do you want to give like a, just a quick, 30 second rundown of what strength yeah, finder just a, is. it's an assessment you take and it will give you a description there are 34 strengths and it'll give you your top five or ten depending on what what you get but think of it as your gps system it's who you are and it it's your innate feelings and talents uh, they become strengths when you practice them so if somebody has a strength of communication, doesn't mean they are naturally communicative. It means they care about communicating and they like to practice it, both speaking, writing, etc. And then it becomes a strength. And that we all have different strengths, but everybody has strengths. And this unique code of strengths can help propel us to uh, success in our lives when we use them. Because when you use your strengths, you're more likely to be engaged. You're more likely to be productive. You're more likely, if you're a worker, to miss less work, et cetera. And it's incumbent upon managers to know their employee strengths. And I think um, we could probably all agree that the way we grew up uh, has really been, uh, hey, you need to, you know what you do good. Let's focus on what you do bad. And I think we're kind of changing, we're shifting that mindset within the strengths finder. Yeah. And, and strengths isn't about just uh, uh, pretend you don't have any weaknesses. Manage your weaknesses. But that's different from 
spending all of your time trying to remediate that which God didn't put in. Let's start with what was put in and what you can do naturally uh, and get better at. Uh, you spend far more time. It's like, uh, uh, look, you, we're, we're in basketball season now. Shooters shoot, rebounders rebound. You know, you want it. It's not all equal. Uh, you want doing what people do best to contribute to a team. And you need all those parts. Uh, but it's helping to people to figure out what their best parts are and doing it. So strengths is, just think of it as a, it's a way of looking at yourself. It's a way of looking at colleagues and then using it. Because when you use your strengths, you're just engaged. And when you're sitting up, paying attention, I don't care whether it's in school or it's in the work that you're doing, uh, you're much more likely to be happier and productive. Well, and I'll, I'll say this. I had the privilege of doing this. It, it's probably been seven or eight years ago now. It's been a little while. It was before we started in, in the current project. And I was made aware, I probably already knew this, but that my number one strength was that of being a competitor or competition. And as an assistant principal, it helped me greatly because I started to realize that I needed to treat parents like I do my wife and I need to not try to win arguments. <laughs> um, and it was just for me being able to do that and dealing with staffers. And then as I transitioned into becoming the principal, learning that about myself, and it only took me 40 years to figure it out, but uh, you know, it was, it really helped me out with my job. Sure. Well, it's trying to think about in what situations can you use your competitiveness productively? And there are times where it isn't, you gave one, but there are other times when, you know, wanting uh, your high school, your team, whatever group you're responsible for, to be very, very good at what they do and to help support them in becoming their very best. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. There's a mother whose daughter is a middle schooler and she said her number one was competitive. And here's what the mother did. She said, it made sense as I thought about her, but every time she struggled a little bit academically, I'd make a game out of what it is she needed to learn. Because when I'd make a game out of it, she'd want to win. And you couldn't win unless you knew the stuff. So it was funny how she took her strength and turned it in a way that she knew would bring her child in. Uh, so, you know, we have strengths when we figure out what's the highest and best use of this strength in this kind of setting. And you think about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I would uh, say that when I did that same, the strength finder, I think at the same time, Ryan, didn't we do them at the same time? Um, I was a woo. My, my number one was a woo. And so woo stands for when others over. And I, I think that uh, I can relate to a lot of different people. But when I do, uh, I'm able to do that. I'm able to draw myself to different conversations. I'm, I'm able to kind of, oh, I can talk with this person. I can talk with this person. And I my goal is to know everybody in the room. <laughs> and not necessarily that they have to know me, but for for me, uh, I get to I get to know them and, and people energize me. And I think that woo is just a perfect thing. Um, you use the word right there. When you use your strength, you're energized. When you're energized, 
it's you're, you're much more productively engaged in whatever it is you're you're doing uh uh so it does do that and everybody has them and so uh ryan uh one of the things that you allude to is this project and i'll just tell people quickly we have a dozen districts we have urban suburban and rural and we're trying to do a deep dive with administrators teachers and students at selected levels to not only help them to figure out what their strengths are but more importantly how do you use how do you use these strengths and what are all the different connections so i think part of the reason the state department wanted to fund that is they care about personalization this is a way of personalizing learning they care about they they care about academic growth well when you know some things about kids uh that matters uh so it connects with lots of things and we're trying to figure out all those connections and i would i would say uh one of the i don't i want to really want to call it buzz things in education today but the the mental state of kids like like knowing if you know them and you're able to help them out in terms of uh you know their anxiety levels and knowing how to uh, what they're thinking or what their strengths are in that case. I think that knowing somebody starts the relationship a little deeper. And I think in, in, in caring about somebody and knowing that information couldn't only help them. It seems in that, in that. Right. Sense. It gives you, you know, sometimes people say, well, I pretty much know them. I gotta tell you what, I can remember we, there were 10, 10,000 students whom we surveyed because their teachers had agreed to let us use a survey. And one of the questions on the survey, uh, it said, my teacher cares about me. And those teachers said, well, of course I do. And they'll know that. And then we got the results back. 50% of the kids said their teachers didn't care about them. But these teachers were shocked because they thought they knew them. Uh, but at the end of the day, your uh, perception of kids or people may be different from their reality. So it does give you another, or I'll sometimes laughingly say, when people say, well, hey, Jim, I pretty much know my strengths. And then I laugh and say, well, you ever go to a karaoke bar? There are people who think they know how to sing too. Uh, that it gives you a, a, another look at your strengths. And then it's the questions that you ask and the connections. So it doesn't, it's, I tell people, it's not astrology. Mm -hmm. It's not a one and done. Uh, you know, you keep coming back to it. I, all of my uh, college students, graduate students take it. And anytime I'm asked to write a reference, I'm happy to do that. I'll never write a reference unless they give me their strength report. Mm -hmm. uh, I do it the first thing in class and I'm constantly asking, uh, how can you use your strengths to X? Mm -hmm. Or how might your strengths help you to do this task? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a way of looking at yourself, but it begins, but you start with a position of positive strength, not something you can't do. And I think that uh, one of the most powerful things when you came, you came to Warren High School uh, at one point in time, you've come a couple of different times, but the one time where you were asking kids about their strengths, because all my, all these leadership kids took those strength finder and the kids said, I feel like somebody knows me now, I think is what they said. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately it's a computer. Yeah. <laughs> but in that cell, but I, I, I took that moment 
to say that kids don't necessarily self-reflect on those right. good things. And I think that that was a moment where they were able to do so. And now they're like aware. So if they're right. just if they're just aware, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, you begin to I, there was an attorney the other day. I was in a municipality and I asked people to talk, uh, think about when they really use one of their strengths. And she was uh, going to law school. It was her last year. She was going to get married that summer, take the bar exam. And she was diagnosed with MS. And she said her mother about fell apart. And she said, the doctor said, we're going to need to do ABC. And she said, my number one strength is a ranger. So I just compartmentalized everything. And I did all the stuff I needed to do. I finished the uh Passed the bar, uh, had a great wedding, and she goes, I've been married for five years now. I've been working as a municipal attorney, so it had a great ending. But she talked about how she told, it was a very powerful story, how she leaned on her number one strength to help her during the most difficult crisis in her life to that point. And Jim, it's it's funny. I, uh, lean on mine more than I ever realized I did. But after you go back and put some context in it, um, I am uh, really good at, in our admin team, because and Ryan, we did this, uh, I think in 2015 on our own. Um, I'm the guy, like if there's something going on with the public, my boss will call me and be like, hey, can you put this together for me? Because he knows I'm so afraid to fail. <laughs> that it'll that I'll look bad that it'll be you know done right so sometimes I end up doing that for other buildings or things that the district has going on just because that competitiveness makes me want to do a good job right um, we're getting ready to do it with our building leadership team um and and actually meet with some strengths people that we're working with from the project on the 12th of December um when we're going to do it with our whole staff, but starting next year, if a kid comes to Warren high school, they're taking it. It's going to be our, in our email signatures, it's in mine. So people will ask me about it all the time. Um, it is really sort of on the verge at least of, of revolutionize what we do here at Warren high school. That's great. You know, and it just, it's, it, you know, it's funny because Gallup has come out with so many applications. One of the other books that was written is strength-based parenting. So parents can do this and then how you use your strengths in parenting. And, you know, the other thing, Ryan, like you talked about competitive and knowing that I think about activation as an activator. I want to activate. I want to let's do something. And then there were times I just needed to go. I needed to manage that. It's like we don't have to go do something every time. Sometimes we just need to listen and not go rush out and do something because that strength, if it isn't managed, can also get me in trouble. Uh, but understanding who you are. Like not trying to win an argument with, with parents. Right, exactly. When you said that, I thought, hey, man, that's a great, that's a great, that's a powerful insight to know who you are and to know who you aren't and to know when you need to get other people to help you do things because they can do them. And when they get to do them, it only makes them uh, not only more engaged in whatever it is, but appreciative, et cetera. Uh, so I, I think knowing people's strengths is a powerful one. And then we'll, 
we'll figure out all these different connections that because I'm 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 sure you teach according to your strengths and knowing the different uh, ideas that people have around their strengths to help them become better teachers uh, can be shared widely. So is there anything else that that you want to kind of throw into our listeners about um, Strength Finder before we move on to to some other topics? No, I would just encourage if anybody's interested, uh, it's the number one book of all time, Clifton Strength Finder. Uh, there are about 30 million copies. You can get the book. You can tear out the code, uh, hop online, uh, take you about 30 minutes to take. It'll give you a report. The book will share lots of things, so you can get it from Amazon. I like the book. You, If you wanted to just take the uh, survey, you can. But I, the book gives you healthier descriptions of what these are and uh, <clears throat> is a great resource. So we uh, we kind of missed this. We, we got a little bit carried away um, in episode one. So... And we kind of talked about you as a as a teacher, as a principal, as a superintendent, as the leader of the nonprofit. Did other than the army, did you work in any jobs outside of education, like while you were growing up? Oh yeah, I have to tell you what. I mean, I had a lot of them. I mean, starting from you know having a newspaper route. The one I kind of cringe that I had that I was very good at. Uh, in fact. Uh, the I, I did this for a couple of summers and live with a relative in Columbus. And I won a trip to the World's Fair because I was so good at it. Now, I'm going to tell you, Ryan, one of my strengths is woo. And I use my woo to do this job. And in the summer of 67, I got really good at doing it. I had done it in 66. And then I did it in 67, and I just kind of cringe when I tell people what I did to win a trip to the World's Fair, which was in Montreal, Canada. It was called Expo 67. You have any idea what I did? Uh, I'm interested. Yeah. I'm going to have to say, uh, I don't, selling cars just didn't, it, it almost was. No, no, 16. Oh, okay. You're 16. Oh, man. But selling was right. I sold. You're not. You're not even allowed to do this now. I better make sure I explain what this is. Uh, I sold magazines door to door, and uh, you know we had all. You know, and that's what I did. And there were a lot of high school and college kids, and I got very good at it. When I graduated from high school, they tried to talk me into not going to college. Just come work for them. Uh, I had a, I had a company car that summer. Uh, I mean, I you know. It was, it was, uh, it was a great experience, again, working with people, uh, but I realized this isn't what I wanted to do. Uh, what I spent in the summers, and you probably know where this is, there was an aluminum plant, uh, Ormet and Canalco, and I worked there in the summers. Uh, it was hard, hard work. I grew even more respectful of the people who worked there. Uh, I learned a lot, worked very, very hard uh, doing those. And then in college, I had every part-time job you could ever imagine, uh, from working in the library to uh, McDonald's to all kinds of things. And again, I look back and it's what I tell kids. 
you know, you can learn as much about what you don't want to do as you can from what you do want to do. What's more important, just go do something. Go do something. That was the activator in me. And I also realized if I planned to have any spending money, I was going to have to go earn it. So I also say, if you want a helping hand, look at the end of your own arm. Uh, and uh, so I, you know, I did a lot of different things. And I was always open to part-time work when I was a senior in high school. This job I didn't like, but I did it. On Sundays, I used to go to the bowling alley, and I'd sweep the lanes early in the morning. You had like a big almost vacuum cleaner. If you didn't hold it right, it'd knock you down to sweep all the lanes. Uh, so a variety of jobs like that, that I, you know, I encourage kids to, to go do. But when I look back again, we were talking about through the strengths land lens, I, I realized, particularly with the selling, uh, and it was really funny because one of the guys I worked with, uh, was a college student and there were about 50 of us. And I was the only one that won that trip. I met people from other places, uh, other states. But I saw this one guy. I ran into him just a few years ago. He was the president of a school board in a suburban area. And they had won an award. This is when I was superintendent. And our school had won an award. And I looked at his picture. And I thought, that's got to be him. So I go over afterwards. And he said to me, he said, oh, my God, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm a school superintendent. He said, You've got to be kidding me. I said, no. I said, why? He said, oh, I thought for sure. You'd have to be selling something. I said, I am. I said, you ever you ever try to sell seventh graders on being interested in Ohio history? Do you ever try to sell? You know, we just <laughs> apply them. And you're using your woo in different applications of it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That's a great one. You have you have so many stories like, you know, there's there's a twofold question here. OK, and you, you probably are going to probably tell us a little bit more stories uh, through your your favorite stories through education. But the art of storytelling kind of goes along with this. And so do you have like, I don't know, suggestions on on what you do? Like, how did you develop that? Can, can you hit on anything looking back? Well, you know, there's. Uh I was trying to, there's there's lots of great books now that make you think about but you know what it's just in the everyday life it's it's how i learn it's how i remember i've watched many many years over people testifying to the legislature for example and i've done that a number of times uh one good story is more likely to have impact than uh, 25 slides uh that people lose interest because stories are sticky uh, there's a narrative to them. There needs to be a point to them. Uh, so I, I don't know. I think and they make it personal, right? Yeah. And it just comes, you know, but it, I, I got to where I would jot down ideas uh, when I'd hear somebody say something because it would stick. And I got to where I never had a staff meeting that I wouldn't start. I have a point I want to make. What's the story that I could use to illustrate that point? And now I've done so many and read so many that it just comes naturally. But I think it's a, I think it is a tool for communicating. And I think if you're going to lead a classroom, you're going to lead a building, you're going to lead anything, you need to be able to communicate. I never took a communication course at OU. That wasn't part of the administrator preparation. I think it should be. Uh, and I think it's a skill that can be developed. And the way you do it is just practice it. I remember going to Toastmasters years ago, 
And if you've ever done that or not, you go to Toastmasters and I'd go on Tuesday nights and go in for an hour and you just practice telling stories, practice speaking. Ah, so. What, 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 hey, wait, wait, wait. What is Toastmasters? You've never heard of it? No. Toastmasters is a speaking group. I, now, I'm sure it still exists. Was in it's it, it's national, and it really you learn the art of speaking. So you go to their, their meetings. Sounds like I'm going to a uh, an AA group, but it was of a, of its own sort. You we'd go every Tuesday and go in and <clears throat> you'd practice various things, giving short talks on topics, and then other people would give you feedback and critique it. It's uh, I'm sure if you Google that, I, I, I'd be willing to bet. I'm I, I don't know this, but I'm sure there's a unit, a group in uh, Marietta. They're all over the, the country. It's a, it's a national group, but uh, their official title is, I don't know, National Toastmasters Club or Toastmasters Club, but it's Toast really about speaking. Toastmasters International. It's a dot org organization. There you go. Uh I used to go to it years to, ago because uh, it gave me an outlet because I, I just, uh, and then as I, there is a power to it and to be able to, uh, it's part of what ought to be in your communication strategy. I mean, I, you know, I think about, you know, the person that I thought probably did it the best ever was, uh, I'm going to use a Ronald Reagan. Uh, Ronald Reagan was, brilliant at being able to tell a story to capture attention to use it to narrate something that's very important so that it has a point to it uh and it but it, it captivates people and gets their attention and you can use it to illustrate a point and the way you get good at it is practice it and it's just in the normal everyday stuff this occurs it's the everyday stuff i have to tell you one this, I you have to excuse my language, but I'm just telling the truth. I, uh, I had to go to Cincinnati a few weeks ago, and I wasn't sure I was in the right building. I knew I was close on my GPS. So I pull in the backside of a hotel, and somebody had parked over the white line. <coughs> so I had to move over. I wasn't quite over the white line on the next one, but I was close to keep away from him because he had – but there weren't, there weren't any cars there, so it was not a big deal. Well, I walk in. turns out I'm in the right place. So I don't think about my car. Now I go out to get in my car, and somebody is parked right up against me. I couldn't begin to open my door. He had done it very, or she had done it very purposely. They left me a note on the car. The coat, or the, the, the note they left said, uh, learn how to park, asshole. That's what it said. Not only did they leave me that helpful note, these were this was a pre-printed note. Uh, so this guy <laughs> must have belonged to the parking police. So wait, so, wait, it was like typed. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it was printed <laughs> up, typed. Oh, this was this was. I'm sure he had a pad of these. <laughs> and first, I was really angry, <laughs> but then I got to laughing. I got in the other side of my car climb over the console, back out, and I thought, context. 
if he had seen why I parked the way I did, I don't know that he'd been giving me his parking ticket. I parked that way because I had to. It was the person before me. Uh, but I laughed, and it became a story. It was just stuff happens in everyday life. Uh, but in that story, it was like sometimes we're judged by what we do, but it was really what happened before us that made us do what we did. And if you understood the context, uh, and it's funny, that's another strength. The people who love context, that's a strength. They want to know, why are you doing it the way you're doing it? What came before that and all of that? And they are good ones to ask to do projects because they want to know. Hey, it was on my top five. So Okay, well, then you know what I'm talking about. So anyway, I, I stories just come naturally. And I and you know, it's why we watch TV, etc. So when there's a good narrative and there's a point, I like, you know, it needs to be a point to it. Uh, well, so I, anyway. I got to tell you, when you were telling me he put the uh, tag on your car, it was typed. My first thought was, I wonder if he's just had really bad parking lot experiences prior to this that made him pre-type these or, you know, it was See, interesting. I never thought about it. See, somebody with context would think about that. What I didn't do is I thought, oh, I'm not going to get bent out of shape. You know, he wanted to park here, probably the only spot he could and to be able to get in, I, you know. Uh, but uh, context is a powerful thing because this, imagine just what you said right there, Ryan, you're with the group. And before somebody jumps to conclusion, somebody has context says, well, maybe something happened there. There might be a reason for that. Uh, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe he's been deputized by Hamilton County. I, I don't know, but I had to laugh. But I, I can tell you this, it was a packet of them. <laughs> Well, uh, just as a side note, uh, the the Athenian Toastmasters Club, they meet on uh, the second and fourth Tuesdays uh, in Athens, Ohio. So there's a whole bunch of them in Columbus, but that's the closest one to us. So yeah, we might I, have to I went to one in the 80s for about, I don't know, three or four months because I knew that's what it was. And I just wanted to go and pick up some tips and I wasn't committed to uh, belonging and going forever, et cetera. But that is what I tell people who want to improve their speaking ability, go to Toastmasters. It's mm -hmm. a great start. They'll put you on the spot. You stand mm -hmm. up. You'll give an impromptu speech. And mm -hmm. then you'll have several people give you feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we have a really good storyteller at our high school, which would be Mr. Wilder. I mean, you could just sit there and listen to his stories, and he knows how to set it up. He has, a, he has always a great punchline. and. Um, love listening to him, uh, but that would be an interesting thing to do just to try it out. Yeah. Go sometime. They invite people. Okay. So, so what is your, if you had like a top, let's just do top three, because I think you probably have a lot of these, but let's do, if you can, if you can do top three favorite stories of all time in education appropriate, that would be what's your top three you can think of. I'll tell you. Probably the one, I have two that I have told a hundred times. I th I, it, no, the one I've probably told more than that. And I actually sent the guy a check last, two years ago, I sent him a check. He told me the story. The other thing about stories, they don't have to be your stories. You can borrow mm -hmm. stories. You say, well, this happened to a friend of mine. That doesn't make the story any less compelling. Uh, but I sent him a check for, I think, a uh, dollar. And I said, I'm giving you this check as a royalty. Uh, that includes two cents for every time I've used it. 
uh, and I will continue to do this. Uh, but so there are two. One is that this one happened to me when I was a, a first year superintendent. The kids in kindergarten in 1987 were going to be the first class of the 21st century. They were going to graduate in 2000. They were in kindergarten that year. We decided to have a special ceremony for them. So all the kindergarten teachers brought them all to the high school. We had four elementary buildings. So they were on risers. There are 200 and some of them. We uh, had a balloon launch out on the practice football field where the kids had listed their aspirations. We had pictures of them in caps and gowns. We planted a tree in honor of the class 2000. If you go to front of John Glenn High School, uh, the plaque is still there. It's not the tree because it died in a drought. I replaced it a couple times with bigger trees that just got more expensive. Uh, but we go in the gym. This is my first year. Kids are getting on the risers. The kindergarten teachers are there, the traveling music teachers. And uh, we're getting ready to start, but I go over to the kids. Teachers are standing. I say, anybody know what my name is? Little boy raised his hand and said, you're Mr. Mahoney. I was kind of impressed. This kid knew me. I said, anybody know what my job is? Little girl raised her hand. It's a true story. She said, you're the superintendent. Now I was really impressed. We're about ready to start. And I asked one more question. I said, hey, what's the superintendent do? And this one little boy is vigorously raising his hand. I said, what? He said, nothing. Uh, the kindergarten teacher looks at me, <laughs> the one closest to me, and said, you know, I believe this might be the smartest group we have ever had. Uh, <laughs> and we laughed about it. And when that class graduated, uh, they asked me to come and meet with them. Uh, and I did. And the kindergarten teachers were there. All the same people were still there. And I told that story. And we all laughed about it. Uh, but it was a reminder that if you can't laugh at yourself, you leave the job to everybody else. And that there's just stuff that happens all the time. Uh, and, uh, you know, and they, you know, what is it? The, uh, and it's not to be comedy, but sometimes comedy is tragedy plus time. You know, at the time you think, oh my goodness. Uh, but after time, uh, you know, it, it becomes something different. But I, but I guess I, for me, I, when I read, uh, I'm always looking for, I mean, it, it would be hard for you to give me a topic that I wouldn't have a story for, but another personal one, I'll tell you one more. One of my favorites is uh, when my youngest daughter was in uh, freshman, freshman high school. She was taking civics. Now I taught social studies. Her mom taught second grade and she's working on this big social studies project. I watch her every night come home, ask her mom for help. Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Now by Thursday, I'm irritated. And finally I said, hey, how come you're not asking me for help? I taught social studies. To which she looked at me and said, you'd tell me more than I want to know. Uh, and I often use that story because to start something, say, look, I, I, I don't want to tell you more than what you want to know. I want to tell you the short pieces that you need to know. And then if you have additional things, so you can see how you might weave that in. And it also it comes back to, I think uh, people like to know that people have a sense of humor. 
the, the truth of it is you trust people who you laugh with more than the people you don't think you could ever laugh with. And a story can sometimes break the ice on that. So those are a couple, but I mean, you're right. I, I thought about doing this. I've thought about doing this for a book. Uh, I know I have hundreds and hundreds of stories. And I've thought about doing like what Jerry Seinfeld did with jokes. Just tell them all on tape and then transcribe them. Then put them in categories, et cetera, because they're, most of them are, uh, I could put the source, some of them are stolen. I don't remember where they came from. Uh, some of them happen to you. But the, the everyday stuff that happens to you counts. And the more experience you have, the more stories you have. Uh, so here, I'll have to tell you one more. This is one more favorite. This is a superintendent one. I didn't tell it. Former state superintendent of instruction told this story. And I won't use his name. He's deceased now, but true story. We and usually use Johnny's. It. We use Johnny's for boys and Susie for girls. I don't know if yeah. that helps or anything. You know. He, uh, he said that he had a superintendent come to see him. This was in the late 70s, which probably gave it away who was superintendent. But he said, I think I'm really in trouble. So what happened? He said, I was at a board meeting last night, and he said, there's this one board member I've never gotten along with. And he started in, and he said, I just couldn't help myself. I got up, and I just punched him, knocked him down. True story. So what did you do? There? He said, I just left. So I just had him. Down he went, and I left. And he said, that was last night. Uh, and I want to know if I'm going to lose my license while I lose my job. He said, I don't really know. It depends on what they charge you with. But he said, Unless it's a felony, I can't imagine that it would be a felony. Uh, you, you'll probably be okay. So he said, what happened is he was charged with a misdemeanor. He had to go to court. So he goes to court, and the, uh, the judge fined him $70. So he paid the $70. And, of course, you know, it was in the, you know, people in the area knew what it was about. And I, I forget what the charge was, but it was a misdemeanor paid 70 bucks. So he called the state superintendent saying what had happened. He said, I paid my 70 bucks, but he said a funny thing happened. He said, I got back to my office and on my desk was an envelope. I opened the envelope up. He said, there's 70 bucks in the envelope with a note. He said, hit him again. Uh, <laughs> but wouldn't advocate for anybody to go around and hit him. Uh, people they don't necessarily work with or don't like to work with, but you get the idea. It was hilarious. Yeah, I'm not sure that that, that would fly these days. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's that's not advice, but it is. Uh, it was funny. And so you've uh, you've shared with us. You know, we've talked about what you're doing now, where you've you know been, different jobs you've had. Um, Maybe, and you mentioned this a little bit, I think, earlier as you were talking about the the first superintendent you worked with, but who would you say, coming up through, have been your greatest leadership influence? <clears throat> well, one was Larry Miller. He was a tremendous mentor. Uh, he was superintendent for 30 years total. And, uh, you know, I really messed up something one time and... He could have just taken me to task for it instead. He said, all right. He said, what'd you learn? If you're doing it again, what would you do differently? And then he said, look, there, 
there there are no mistakes just lessons now if you keep doing it he said it'll be a mistake but he, you know he just was one of those people he had high standards for himself there wasn't anything he expected of somebody else that he didn't first expect of himself so he was a tremendous mentor who became colleague who became friend uh so he was a powerful influence around that there were many influences when i say many m-i-n-i of various teachers and people who i worked with who were really good at certain things uh and i really respect and learned from them you know the teacher who had incredible classroom management skills and how could i what are some things i might pick up from them uh but persist in him uh Two long-term people that I got to know very well. One was Bill Sanders, who created Value Added. Uh, I mean, I had, I've lost track of the number of conversations with him. I learned more about statistics than I ever wanted to know. But yet, by the time my relationship with him finally ended, uh, he he uh, passed away. I thought if I were to go back in college, I would major in economics now. That's how much of an influence he was. And when you could see the power of numbers and what you could learn from them and then what you could do with them. And then there's another professor who's still living, who's in his 90s, who's written a book that I used to use in my classes all the time called Inviting School Success by William Perkey. And William Perkey was a he's a distinguished professor at the University of North Carolina, and he his whole theory and many of his books were about what was called invitational education and at its root it's why wouldn't you make schools the most inviting places in town and kids will love to be at a place where teachers want to teach and kids want to be make it that kind of place so he spent his whole career in helping schools to become just that and his influence spread worldwide and they still have a worldwide uh, alliance meetings, but I used to attend that, and it's where I met lots of people there from Hong Kong, and then it started my travels to going there and working too. So those those were two people that uh, really influenced my career. Wait, I feel like you may have just glossed over something that was fairly important. Um, you traveling to Hong Kong? Yeah, we had a, when I was at Battelle for Kids, we began doing uh, it was through that. I got invited to go do a few workshops. And then I started going multiple times and doing work with invitational education. And uh, so I've probably, I don't know, I did a strengths workshop for them via Zoom last year. And there were people from New Zealand, Hong Kong, Beijing, and Macau. About 500 people were on the Zoom. And I thought, when I was teaching at Lawrence School, that would have been a chapter in the book, Our Neighbors to the East. And they would have all had uh, jackets, Nehru jackets and riding bikes. Uh, that's not true today. And I, but I could never have imagined uh, then, 50 years later, that going on. So I often tell people, when we talk about change, uh, not all progress or not all change is progress, but there cannot be progress without change. And we think about school may not be a place in the future. It will be what's taking place. 
And I don't think we're done with all of the possibilities around uh, hybrid education and Zoom and a variety of things. I think we're in the midst of what will be another uh, tremendous set of changes. But when I think about the Hong Kong thing, yeah, I, I've gotten to know many, many educators in Hong Kong. And what I found is what they want for their kids, the same thing we want for our kids, to be honest. We're much more alike than different. But that idea of invitational education resonated with them. Well, and, and that's a, a pretty interesting segue, because if you go back to, to part one, I read a, a clip from the book about equality. And that, that passage just kind of stuck with me for, for various reasons. Um, you know, and we, and we talked about that from, from the get-go. But I, that's part of a section of the book where it talks about relationships. It's like part two of the book, I think. Um, you focused quite a bit about relationships in the book. You maybe want to elaborate on that a little bit, why that became such a, a big part of the book? I, th I think because at the end of the day, what makes relationships work is trust. Uh, George Schultz passed away here recently. He was Reagan's Secretary of State. He wrote a powerful article a couple of years ago. He lived to be 100. And, you know, it was interesting. He talked about his long, long career in government and all the different positions that he held. And one of the things that he said is trust is the lubricant that makes it work. Uh, it's hard to have trust where you don't have a relationship. And it's hard to have a relationship where you don't spend time with people, getting to know them, they with you, and that your word means something. Because when you have a relationship, there's just a lot of things you can do. People start looking for ways to work together. Uh, there was a thing the the state did when Voinovich was governor called Family and Children First. And first, in each county, they put the county superintendent, uh, the head of job and family services, the head of children's services. There's a whole group of county officials that were required to meet. Now, they weren't required to cooperate. They weren't required to like each other, but they were required to meet and talk about how they might support reading. Well, we took it, I, it ended up being uh, some of those people became great friends. And once we knew each other and began knowing each other and trusting each other, then we started looking for all kinds of things. It became much more than just supporting reading. It was all kinds of things. So where there's a relationship, there's a lot of things you can do. So I'm big on, you know, not a superficial one. You got to spend, you can't, you can't shortcut this in my mind. It's hard to, but you know what? You can build a relationship over the internet. You can build a relationship and subsidize it uh, with emails. Uh, relationship is communicating, getting to know people. So there's there's ways you can do this, but I'm, I'm a big believer that uh, you can, when you have good relationships, you find ways, alternate solutions to problems that you might not have ever thought about. Yeah, and today, nowadays, it should be a little bit easier to cultivate, like you said, uh, relationships. Can you imagine trying to do some of the things that we do today? Back Look, you, you, you know this is true. <laughs> you have some people, the only time they ever contact you is when they want something. And yeah. you know it, they know it, and you're really reluctant to do it unless it really benefits you. Mm. You know, you have these, even now, 80% of mergers and acquisitions fail. Now, I can't give you all the reasons they fail, but I 
would be hard pressed to believe that where there aren't people who have honest relationships and a commingling of values and who have really thought about this as opposed to only looking at the business relationship, uh, that there are other factors in this. Where you, where you build those uh, and maintain them, uh, lots of good things can happen. So it's why I, I really am big on that because I think where there's a relationship, there's no limit to the possibilities. Well, and it, it, in the book, you actually, there was, I think, was three chapters uh, yeah. specifically about relationships. And in the last one, it actually talked about productive relationships with boards. You know, in my case, that right. would be a school board, but in, in a, you can apply this to business like you <clears throat> made that kind of correlation earlier. Um, just maybe talk a little bit about your how you handled school boards as a superintendent or you know what advice you would yeah. give to people with that handle you, here, here's I, I will say this about school boards i used to do a thing for osba because with school boards as a legal entity in ohio there are certain things only a board can do for example in ohio only a board can adopt a budget only a board can actually employ somebody uh, there are certain things they can't do. Uh, they can't have an executive session and talk about uh, certain things. Uh, but in between that is the majority of things. And I used to think when I first started, I thought, well, what do I decide? And what do they decide? And any superintendent, when they first start, that says they didn't think that, I don't believe them. Because you're trying to think, well, who does, do they decide this or I decide this? And uh, you can read books on saying, oh, you do policy, you do this, I do this, and they'll say there's a green line. I, I tell you what, my experience is you need to have a conversation with the board about when you start uh, around these kinds of things and what they're used to and what you can do. Communication is everything so i would never say you know there were a few principles i had which is when i communicate it's with all of you not with one or two of you i don't do that socially i don't do things with one or two i mean if you come and talk to me i'm going to tell other people what you said no it's not a transcript but it's just i don't want to create distrust and then let's decide how you want to approach things. You want work sessions. Even when I went to Battelle for Kids, I met with the board for the first time. Now this board was very different because they're all, I'd never worked with a board uh, of CEOs, et cetera, but I had about 15 questions the first meeting. Said, how often you want communicated with? Uh, what do you want communicated with about? Uh, I, I think it's important to ask and to have a common understanding because I won't say, like some people say, well, only you should decide that. Well, if this is something that's really important to the board and you, you can, it's what you agree to do because you have a relationship and where it works is there's a good relationship and you do what you can and having a good relationship doesn't mean you have five separate individual relationships you're trying to manage. Uh, you have a group that knows, uh, each other and what they're doing because you want and then the other thing i tried to do was to engage them in things that i knew they wanted to be engaged in 
asking the right questions. So preparing a board agenda was very powerful because <coughs> there's a, you know, there's a wide, wide range of things. If you want to talk about uh, individual purchases, they'll do that. If you want to talk about a vision for the future, they'll do that. Uh, so you have to think about, I like what one superintendent said to me years ago. He said, I tell the board, you do the defining, I'll do the doing. So that always made sense to me. So he did lots of activities with the board to help define what kind of a school system do you want? And then as superintendent, he would go do those kinds of things that helped to fulfill what they saw, but he engaged them. So it's, it's easy to talk about. It's hard to do, mm -hmm. but it's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's it's like uh, you're kind of alluding to um, like building a culture. Cult building a culture is difficult to do, but it starts with relationships, right? And then how you how you bring those relationships together brings your culture together, which is I think right. in that chapter in your book. Right. Right? And they about. want to trust you. They want to trust you. And the way you think about the people you trust in your life, uh, at work or up, you trust them because when they tell you something, it's going to happen. Uh, you, the very things, any group people we listed it, they would give us the same five or six things by and large. And if you want to build trust, you got to go do it. You got to be trustworthy mm -hmm. and it takes time. Uh, because when you first start in a new position, you can tell people, well, this is what I stand for. This is what I'm going to do. And they all, without saying it, say, we'll see. Mm -hmm. Right. We'll see. Don't tell me what you believe. Show me what you do. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what you believe. Yeah, and when I, I teach, when I teach my leadership class. I always stress um, trust is to me, and and really in everything else, it starts with trust. And trust is the the basis behind everything. And I love the quote, and, and it kind of it kind of gives a visual to my kids to understand this. If you break trust. It's like crumpling up a sheet of paper. You try to unfold that and you try to make it as, as good as you can, you know, as, as smooth as you can, but you always have wrinkles. And so that's a very like fragile thing. It you is. You have to deal with you that. Know, it is. You know, I, I used to say, you know, it takes a carpenter to build a barn, but any jackass can knock it down. And I'll tell you what, when you do some things there, you know, it's just hard to come back. Not impossible. Uh, but it's hard to come back. And I think your analogy with wrinkles is true. Absolutely true. So trust is a powerful one. Well, and there's a, a book out there. I don't know if either one of you guys have, have read it. It's called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Yeah. And and actually trust is one of those five and, and building relationships and, and how important that is. And then I also, I pulled a, a thing out of, there's a one of the chapters you're talking about building constructive relationships. I actually used this on a, a staffer of mine. So I owe you a thank you. I was trying to get him to take on a student teacher. And I was like, hey, uh, being a mentor is, is part of that. And that you talked about that a little bit in your book, too, about having a, a mentor relationship. Yeah, I, you know, that we, we all need mentors. And, uh, uh, and they can be conscious and unconscious and and we have an obligation to it. Uh, we, we are mentors, whether we want to be or not. I remember sometime I some movie star, or somebody said, I'm nobody's role model. And it's like, well, yeah, you are. If you're in the public, you are somebody's role model. And uh, you may not. Uh, it's 
who you um, whenever you're uh, you know people watch you when you don't know they're watching you and they're learning they're absolutely learning so you are role models uh, they're watching how you handle adversity they're watching you know whether it's at home or in school uh, we are mentors so we just finished up talking about the uh, relationship part of Jim's book, uh, To Lead is to Teach. And, and what we'll do right now, we'll end part two of our conversation with Dr. Jim Mahoney. Uh, we'll pick up in the next episode with part three. Thank you for listening to Ryan and Ryan Education Today.